Coming up on this week's show, we wrap up Pride Month with a visit to Sacramento's Lavender Library. Plus, we review some children's and YA books. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome, everyone, to episode 142 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from JeffAdamsWrites.com. And I'm Will from WillKanaus.com. This episode of the show is brought to you in part by our remarkable group of supporters on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them in just a few moments. Welcome back. I hope everyone... Everyone listening to my voice currently, whether it's in your ears or in your car or wherever you listen to podcasts, I hope you all had a fantastic week and got lots of great books read. Mm-hmm. Jeff. For for many folks, this was the big Pride weekend. New York, of course, had it their was. big Pride uh, on Sunday. And if your Pride was this weekend, we hope you had a fabulous one. We want to wish a special birthday to the one and only Jeff Adams. Today is his birthday. Yes, it's it your is. birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's not a version of the song we have to pay royalties on. <laughs> yeah. No, it isn't. Uh, happy birthday, sir. Thank you. You yes, are sure. officially at the mid-century mark. I am. And some days I feel like it, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, though, I, I, I feel like I'm only in my 40s still. So, mm-hmm. yes. Thank you for the birthday wishes. You're welcome. Is there any... Aged wisdom you wish to impart to either me or our listeners? Oh, jeez. That's called putting me on the spot. That is not on the run sheet in front of us. Stay in school. <laughs> don't do drugs. See, that's, you know, know, that was easy. Be out there and be yourself. <laughs> happy Pride. Yeah, Happy Pride. I'll just turn my birthday message into a Pride message at the same okay, time. Okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, we're very excited for some stuff happening next year because we're already planning for 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're excited to announce that we are a featured blogger for the Coastal Magic Convention coming up February 28th through March 3rd in Daytona Beach. It'll be nice to get away to the beach in the middle of February. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly for the folks who maybe live on the East Coast and in places where it can really be snowy and cold. Uh, we've looked at this convention for years. Several years, and we've uh, it's always been at the top of our list, our, our wish list. Yeah, and we're finally excited to be able to get there. Uh, for those who don't know, it's an urban fantasy paranormal romance weekend, hanging out on the beach. Uh, lots of authors, lots of readers, and it should be a whole lot of fun. We'll be featuring uh, some Coastal Magic authors uh, coming up over the next few months leading into the convention, and uh, we'll have a in the next couple of weeks, in middle of July, we'll actually have the convention director here to talk to us. It's going to be exciting to hear what Jennifer's got in store for everybody for 2019. And if you want to get more information about Coastal Magic, there will be the link, of course, in the show notes, or you can go directly to coastalmagicconvention.com. The Codename Winger Series celebrates Pride Month with a limited-time sale. Throughout the month of June, the first book, Tracker Hacker is just 99 cents at all online retailers. It's the perfect chance to begin the adventures of Theo Reese, high school student, hockey player, computer genius, and covert agent who goes by the codename Winger. The second thrilling installment, Schooled, is also available and coming this fall, Audio Assault continues Theo's high-tech missions. 
Love Bites Reviews says, Jeff Adams has a brilliant writing style for YA that draws you in. Add the code name Winger Series to your Pride Month reading list before the sales ends on June 30th. Get more information at codenamewinger.com. So let's talk about some movies here to wrap up Pride Month. Shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that I got the Love, Simon DVD as soon as it came out. Uh, it's actually been out on digital since uh, sometime back in late May. The Blu-ray and the DVD copies just dropped uh, a couple weeks ago. And I'm super happy to now own this for my very own self. Um, it's well known for those who listened to the podcast at all in middle March that I was gaga for this movie. We were both gaga for this movie. Uh-huh. It's really um, good. We loved it a lot. Saw it a couple times in the theaters. Uh, I have not actually watched the movie on Blu-ray just yet, uh, but I have sampled the uh, special features. Uh, some delightful uh, deleted scenes here. Uh, there's a large deleted scene uh, from the film uh, that takes place over Christmas right after Simon gets outed. Uh, his friend Nick shows up to take him to a gay bar uh, to show that everything really is okay. Uh, it has a delightful uh, cameo from Colton Haynes, who of course is a part of the Berlanti universe because of his time on Arrow, uh, which actually I think he came back uh, this season even. Uh, it's really nice to see Simon kind of get out and get his groove on just a little bit, putting his toe out there. And some nice scenes with his parents when he comes back from this. I totally get why this scene was cut, uh, because it changes the tenor around Christmas time in the movie a little bit, but it's nice to see it on the deleted scenes. Uh, also some nice behind-the-scenes stuff while they were shooting, um, all the cast is involved in it. Becky Albertalli gets to speak a little bit about the movie because she got to be on set a lot since it shot in her hometown of Atlanta. Uh, so, yeah, the deleted scenes were great. Uh, the deleted and the bonus were great. And eventually I will also listen to the commentary because there's a commentary track uh, from Greg Berlanti along with a couple of the writers. Did you enjoy our bonus scene watching and extra stuff watching? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So... Check out Love, Simon, which is now available in pretty much all formats, it would seem. Uh, it is worth being in your movie collection, for sure. And uh, I will probably talk about the movie again after I actually watch it on the DVD. <laughs> now, you got a couple of DVDs in the mail as well. Because, yeah, we're still old school. We actually buy DVDs uh, periodically <laughs> instead of just getting the digital download. Mm -hmm. What you got? Uh, really quickly, I want to talk about uh, two older films. Uh, the first one is called Jack the Giant Killer. Not Jack the Giant Slayer, which came out in 2013 and is total garbage and unwatchable. <laughs> I'm talking about Jack the Giant Killer. This came out in 1962. Uh, if you enjoyed The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, you will enjoy this movie because they are practically identical in every conceivable way. Um, <laughs> they both share the same leading man, Kerwin Matthews. They both share the same villain, played by Torrin Thatcher. They both share the same director, Nathan Warren. They are also uh, almost identical in plot. Uh, Jack the Giant Killer is a uh, essentially a riff on the legend of uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. Uh, our hero, Jack, played by Kerwin Matthews, has to uh, save a princess who's been kidnapped by uh, said giant of the title. And um, <laughs> uh, it's a big deal. He's like transformed from a, a mere country 
stableable into a hero uh, and their adventures continue from there um, the story beats of Jack the Giant Killer uh, as I said nearly match the Sinbad movie uh, scene per scene uh, so that's an enjoyable comparison um, this movie is a little um, uh, a little bit more colorful a little bit more children oriented uh, a lot uh cheaper <laughs> they tried their best with the uh, special effects but uh some of them end up looking uh, remarkably chintzy but anything would look chintzy compared to ray harry and let's just That's let's true. just you know put that out there it's, it's not you know jack the giant killer's fault that it's you know compared to a total <laughs> classic um the reason i'm bringing this movie up is because kerwin matthews was in fact gay in real life um he was, uh, in 1962, um, he was uh, doing pretty well in Hollywood. Uh, he was kind of wrapping things up. The, the roles were getting fewer and farther between, so he ended up heading to Europe not too long after this and doing some movies over there. Uh, and he worked rather steadily uh, until the 70s. Uh, he finished out his IMDb resume with like junky movies like Octoman and uh, <laughs> The Boy Who Cried Werewolf. He eventually retired uh, and he owned an antique store in the Bay Area. Uh, it's worth noting that Kerwin met his, the man who would become his lifetime partner around the time that he made Jack the Giant Killer. Oh. Not on the particular set of this movie, but it was around this time in the very early 60s that he uh, uh, met his, uh, well, essentially his husband. And they were together until Kerwin's death in 2007. Oh, that's cool. Now, the Blu-ray of Jack the Giant Killer is, uh, number one, uh, really beautiful. Uh, it's remastered and it looks fantastic but what makes it extra super special is is that included as a bonus is the musical version of jack the giant killer oh my now um for reasons no one is actually a hundred percent sure of uh after the release of jack the giant killer was botched um by some you know behind the scenes junk that was no one's fault really um <laughs> it went into the editing room sometime in the 70s and had songs added to it by uh, Moose Charlap. Hmm. And, and to see this, it's really, I don't think there are words that can adequately convey how bizarre and totally cuckoo bananas it is <laughs> to, <laughs> to be watching, you know, this perfectly respectable kids, you know, adventure movie and all of a sudden these strange tortured musical numbers come up uh in one scene uh between uh jack and the princess they're uh they're sailing to a faraway land and they have like two or three lines of dialogue it's maybe 15 or 18 seconds in the you know actual film but what they did is that they tortured this short footage they ran it forwards and ramped it up and then slowed it down and ran it backwards so that so that Jack and the princess end up singing this love song together for two whole minutes. Oh my. Um it's such a really weird Folks, I haven't seen this so I can't comment on the cuckooness, but 
wow. <laughs> it's it's wonderful <laughs> and really, really strange. Um, if you're a fan of fantasy films or cult films, uh, I highly recommend Jack the Giant Killer uh, and giving it a try. Uh, it's on Blu-ray right now. And really quickly, I also want to mention another movie uh, that I got on DVD, uh, The Female Animal, and that came out in 1958. I've known about this movie for quite a while, uh, but I finally took the plunge and I bought it, and I could not be happier. Uh, the Female Animal is about manly man uh, George Nader, and he is <laughs> an extra on a movie set, and uh, one day there is an onset accident, and he saves the leading lady, Hedy Lamar. Uh, and in order to show her appreciation, uh, Hetty invites George back to her beach house. Uh, and she kind of ends up pulling uh, Norma Desmond. And she um, she hires him to uh, be the caretaker of her beach house. Uh, and then romance ensues. Um, while the movie sort of tiptoes around the fact that this is a May-December... Uh, you know, older woman, gigolo kind of story. They never, never quite mention the age gap between the two stars. Uh, Hetty looks amazing, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure where this particular movie falls in her career, but she looks phenomenal. It's one of those movies when the female star might wake up in the morning uh, and she rolls out of bed with her hair perfect and her makeup immaculate. Oh. I love those movies. <laughs> and this is one of them. Anyway, so uh, Hetty and George are, you know, you know, having a grand old time. Uh, unfortunately, um, George ends up saving Jane Powell. Uh, he's, he's, he's handy to have around, isn't he? He's got a hero complex. <laughs> uh, Jane Powell um, uh, is... Uh, kind of drunk and her uh, at a, a bar, a seaside bar, and her date is getting a little too handsy. So George, being the perfect gentleman that he is, uh, saves her. Uh, she's too drunk to go home by herself, so he ends up taking her back to the beach house. Unbeknownst to him, Jane is actually Hetty's daughter. Uh-oh. And so the rest of the movie is him trying to romance the two of them and the drama that uh, eventually ensues. Um, Jane Powell up to this point had, you know, pretty much, you know, made her career playing cute good girls. Um, so getting to watch her be a bad girl and um, her character is basically drunk the first half of the movie. <laughs> it's really, really wonderful. I loved it to pieces. Um it's worth noting that George was also gay, uh, just like Kerwin Matthews. And remarkably, they kind of had the same career trajectory. Uh, around the time that the female animal was made, uh, George was a contract player at Universal. And um, George is, number one, remarkably good looking. He spends half of the movie with a shirt off for very, very good reason. <laughs> um, he was tall. He was handsome. He had this lush head of dark hair. Uh, the only problem was is that there were several tall, dark, and handsome leading men under contract at Universal at that particular time. The number one being, of course, Rock Hudson. Uh, so everyone else essentially got the you know choice 
um, rolls, and George usually ends up getting the leftovers. Also, unfortunately, it was around this time that Confidential Magazine had that uh, gay story about rock, and it was essentially George Nader who was thrown under the bus. Mm. They they gave they gave uh, the story about George to the magazine in order to keep you know Rock's secret life you know secret, uh, which was fine. George and Rock were apparently very good friends in real life, friends, regular old friends, <laughs> and um, uh, he didn't really mind it at all. Uh, after the female animal, he ended up doing a lot of television work, and then like Kerwin Matthews, he ended up going to Europe, doing a couple of spy movies, that kind of thing. Um, after that, he suffered an eye injury, which made it, um, uncomfortable to be under, like, the bright studio lights. So, George essentially retired in the 70s, around the same time that Kerwin Matthews did. Uh, George ended up writing the classic sci-fi tale, Chrome. Um, I'm, I've got the, I believe it's the mid-80s reprint from Allison Books, uh, holding up here on the... Uh, video feed. Uh, let me just read you the back of uh, of the uh, jacket of Chrome. In the future, there will only be one taboo: to love a robot. But in the desert hideaway where Chrome and the warrior king Vortex meet, a bond between man and machine is unknowingly taking shape. A bond that will ignite intergalactic violence and bring Earth once more to the brink of total destruction. Hell yeah! <laughs> So, um, <laughs> uh, thank you, George, for being a really uh, good actor uh, and for starring in wonderfully soapy movies like The Female Animal and for also writing the gay sci-fi classic Chrome. Um, now, I know all of you listening probably have no real interest in Jack the Giant Killer or The Female Animal. I just thought it would be nice to bring up two, um, two lesser-known films from gay actors of yesteryear. And not to mention the Crazy Town book. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's good for the end of Pride Month to, to call out <laughs> these kind of things. Absolutely. Uh, so we'll shift over to books. And we're going to look at a couple of children's books. Before we dive into that, as we know, we've had the creators of Promised Land on the show previously. Their second book, Maiden Voyage, is coming out this week. It's due to drop on Tuesday the 26th. Uh, and we're excited to be getting our copy, hopefully sometime soon, because we helped back that Kickstarter. Uh, if you want to hear more about that, you could check out our interview with Adam Reynolds and Chaz Harris back at episode 109. Mm -hmm. And if you're into these kind of books, we highly recommend you grab uh, your copy of Maiden Voyage. Now, you've got some groovy children's books to show us uh, today that uh, start off with our one of our favorite things, the prince. <laughs> Princes and knights. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the first book we want to quickly talk about is Prince and Knight uh, by Daniel Hack and Stevie Lewis. Um, as you can tell by the title, it's about a lovely, handsome prince, and he is busy trying to find a compatible uh, lady uh, in order to uh, serve beside him on the throne. Uh, but it ain't working. Uh, he's having a hard time. He's not really interested in the ladies that are paraded in front of him by his uh, his family. Uh, one day he was just, you know, hanging out, roaming around his kingdom when uh, they come under attack by a dragon. Uh, 
uh, and he takes it upon himself to save the country he loves. Uh, thankfully, he gets some help by a handsome knight who happens to be riding by. Uh, they defeat the dragon and essentially live happily ever after. Yeah, I checked this book out, too, because it only takes about five minutes to read. <laughs> the interior artwork, and you can tell the, what the artwork looks like from the from the cover there, uh, but the interior is gorgeous. The story is adorable, and it just made me go, oh, yeah. oh, especially yeah. on top of the fact that we've been reading Prince and Night Tales of Late uh, with Lucy Lennox's, some of Lucy Lennox's books, uh, and... I just finished T.J. Clune's uh, book with, with all the knights and the wizards and stuff. So that, that just fed right into that for me. It warms your heart. It does. It's a really good uh, book. We both highly recommend it. I also want to quickly mention Pride, the story of Harvey Milk and the Rainbow Flag. And once again, like our previous book, uh, the title of this one also kind of tells the tale of what uh, <laughs> lies within its pages. Um, it's wonderful. It's written by Rob Sanders and illustrated by Stephen Salerno. Um, it gives you some uh, background biographical information on Harvey Milk. Uh, and sort of springboards off of his famous quote, uh, you have to give them hope. Uh, in the book, uh, Harvey undertakes um, the uh, mantle of, uh, of gay savior, um, <laughs> and he asks his friend, Gilbert Baker, to come up with a symbol of the LGBTQ movement. Uh, and they create the rainbow flag. Um, so this is a wonderful little book, some great illustrations, uh, and it's a really great way to introduce young children to some uh, LGBTQ history. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's important. We talked, we talked last episode a little bit about the history and how important keeping the history is, and that that is a nice book to actually do so. Now, recently, while you were away in Texas, you had the chance to listen to a wonderful audiobook I of did. a book of a book that's remarkably popular and just about everyone else has read. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you finally taking the plunge. I've taken the plunge. I actually own a copy of it too, so I don't know, you know, why. I have it read this sooner. Not Your Sidekick by C.B. Lee uh, came out in 2016. Mm -hmm. Now, for those who haven't read it yet, or perhaps are more into audio, the audiobook with narration from Emily Wu Zeller just came out at the end of, of uh, May. Mm -hmm. So I'm not that far behind, at least on the audiobook. And uh, I have to say that Emily did a great job with this narration. Um, this is the first in C.B.'s uh Sidekick Squad series, uh, of which a second book is out and a third is on its way. Uh, this takes place at a time that is uh, a little bit out in the future, uh, after some uh, solar apocalypse happened, and uh, comets went by, and all uh, kinds of crazy stuff happened. Comets, you say? Comets, and <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, made me think a little bit of Night of the Comet, a little bit, but not every, not, people don't disappear, but there is... There is apocalypse, and part of the radiation that was left behind has uh, made some people into uh, metahumans, and some people have manifested superpowers. Uh, the government that is in place afterwards uh, set up the, the essentially the League of the Heroes and the League of the Villains to kind of keep everybody you know in place and make sure everybody gets their training and how to use their powers and. Uh, Jess, Je, poor Jessica Tran uh, does not seem to have any powers. 
Her parents are super. Uh, they have what are called C-class powers. Uh, so they're low-level superheroes just keeping the peace in Andover. Uh, and they actually have C-level villains to deal with as well. Uh, with uh, Master Mischief and uh, Mistress Mischief. Mischief. Um, everything's going along fine. Jess is upset that she's not going to get to fly. Uh, especially because her sister uh, turned into an A-class hero. Uh, and her brother, who also isn't uh, has no powers, is just super smart. So he's kind of got his own lane of stuff that he's doing, leaving Jess to just kind of be eh, Jess. Uh, she's got good friends, though, uh, with Bells and Emma. And she's got this crush on the volleyball captain, Abby. Uh, she goes off and gets his internship to do something, besides maybe work in a sandwich shop. And uh, ends up working for the robot maker, Monroe Industries, who makes all manner of... Uh, helpful automated assistants, uh, such as the vacuum cleaner that works in Jess's home, which is a little tweaked in the head. Uh, he's so cute. The vacuum just made me so happy, I have to say. <laughs> in his little efforts to keep the house clean and do the right thing as, as his little robot self. Uh, but it turns out that this internship in the experimental division is uh, under the mysterious M. And uh, Emma soon, uh, not Emma, no. Jess uh, soon finds out that that might be Master Mischief, who's working for Monroe Industries. Turns out Abby works there, too. Uh, and from here, I'm going to be a little obtuse on the plot, because I can't tell you how wonderful it was that CB just kept turning all these corners that were like, no, no, what? <laughs> it was completely awesome how this unfolded. There are nefarious things going on in the government and potentially in the Superhero League itself to keep the populace a little docile and kind of controlled in the post-apocalyptic times they live in. Um, the, the, the crush uh, slash love slash romance that blooms for Jess and Abby uh, unfolds so just... Perfectly, in my view. Um, they start out working together. They do a school project together where they have to write something that turns into a little bit of a romance fiction piece uh, between two girls who happen to be a little bit like the two of them. Um, the superhero stuff is really epic as uh, everybody kind of finds out they've got powers. Uh, they have the power within often, uh, which is a great kind of trope and the whole concept of not your sidekick uh, really is I think a lot of teenagers you know kind of figure out kind of their place in the hierarchy are they the alpha the the beta the the sidekick in some terms are they the hero and this is really a nice example of everybody getting to kind of write their own story and not necessarily following the the hand they were dealt mm -hmm. or what society is expecting that this person must do um Everything is handled so well. I like how CB um, creates her character. She's got such a diverse cast here. And really the surprises come every few pages. You just keep getting this new information and this new thing that totally took the story in ways that I just, my brain just didn't even think of. And I love that. Uh, so I'll definitely be getting uh, the second book. Hopefully the second book audio will be coming along soon. Uh, so I can catch up with that one. I believe it's called Not Your Villain, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so I'm so happy that I finally got to read this and fall into the world of C.B. Lee. And if you are one of the potentially few who has not gone down this path yet, you definitely should. Because Not Your Sidekick kicks butt. 
Now, if any of the books we just mentioned sound good to you, all you have to do is go to the show notes page at Big Gate Fiction Podcast, and we've got links for everything we just mentioned. Anytime you use the affiliate links on the show notes page, uh, we get a teeny tiny little kickback, a couple of pennies drop more like that drop drop <laughs> drop into the big game fiction coffers and help keep this show rolling uh if you'd also like to support the show through patreon you can do that as well all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash big game fiction podcast and we've got all the information you need uh, to learn about supporting this show with a uh, small or large, it's up to you, uh, monthly <laughs> pledge. Uh, once again, that is patreon.com slash Podcast. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at facebook.com slash biggayfictionpodcast and see what we get up to next. So every now and then we take a little divergent course from the interviews that we normally do here. And for Pride Month, one of us, and we're actually not sure which one it was anymore, decided that it would be super cool to interview uh, somebody from Sacramento's Lavender Library. Um, it's I love that we live in a place that has this kind of facility available. Uh, we've interviewed in the past the guys who run uh, the bookstore that's inside the LGBT Center in New York. Uh, this interview follows the same vein because in this era where everything's kind of getting either jammed in the in the few remaining big box bookstores that are out there, or you have to kind of dig it out on Amazon. This is a place where you can go and browse LGBTQ books, which is really awesome to me uh, that that is available. So we went out there, we reached out, we found Trevor Neely, who is on the board of the library and is also their internship coordinator. And he was kind enough to sit down with us on a Saturday afternoon and tell us all about this great place. So today we are at the Lavender Library here in Sacramento. Uh, we discovered this place right around the time that we moved here and we're thrilled to see an LGBTQ collection right here in our backyard. And uh, officially this is called the Lavender Library Archives and Cultural Exchange. And it was founded t almost 20 years ago now by 17 local Sacramento community members as a research and information institution for the city's LGBTQIA community. And I'm joined by Trevor Neely, uh, one of the library's board members and its intern coordinator. They've been working for the library since January 2016, when you told us you you were the key pickup. You, you were backup key holder. Backup key holder. Yeah. Uh, just welcome. For, just for a few months, the backup key holder. <laughs> and then yeah. you became so much more, then we'll get into that. Yeah. Thanks, Trevor, for taking some time out to uh, talk to us about the library. Oh, yeah. Thank you for being here. So, in, in, in the broadest of terms, what is this library's mission for the community? Hmm. I think we have, you know, several missions, you know, depending on which volunteer you ask, maybe. Um, we are all volunteer run, you know, I think. Uh, but I think our core mission is creating a space where people can, like, meet each other, get to know one another, and also get to know their community, both, like, in a, region, or in a regional sense and in a national sense, and maybe an international sense as well. Um, in terms of, you know, exploring their identities, exploring their queer identities specifically. Um, all of our materials are LGBTQ, um, like, focused or written by LGBTQ authors or 
uh, directors in the case of DVDs, of course, um, or they incorporate the identities or experiences of queer folks. Um, so I think it's a space, you know, I got involved. Um, I don't know if this is a question for later, but I, <laughs> I got involved because my mission in this space is to provide a space for people to, to explore themselves and to potentially, you know, for me, literature is what got me to come out to myself and then to others. Like it was the first thing that, you know, helped me to make sense of my reality. Um, after at least seven or eight years in the closet, um, of like knowing for sure that I was queer, but not telling anybody about it. Um, so that's my main mission is just to help keep the space open, you know, being all volunteer run, you know, we do have a pretty small group of uh, dedicated volunteers who help keep the space open so that people can have a space to explore themselves and, and uh, get to know their community a little bit through queer literature. Mm -hmm. Can I ask what some of the books were that helped you? Oh uh, my gosh, that's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my, I came out in college in my senior year at UC Davis um, from taking an intro queer studies class through the women's studies minor that I was doing um, with my cultural history major. Um, and some of the most influential works were written by like Eve Sedgwick, um, Gloria Anzaldúa, um, Michael Warner, Monique Fatigue, um, various scholars that people maybe point to as like the founders of queer theory as a discipline. Um, for me, it was, it was about like getting the academic theory background behind queer identity, I think. Um, I've always been a read-write learner so I think I really needed to read and write about my experience before I could fully come to grips with it and be honest with myself and others. Um, so it was that in conjunction with getting involved at the LGBT Resource Center on campus at Davis. Um, and yeah, and just kind of exploring myself through literature primarily, I think is what led me to being able to come out and get involved in the queer community. Um, so that's what my main goal, you know, my mission here is to create a space where people can, can read about themselves. Mm -hmm. What does it mean that the library is also an archive and cultural exchange? Like I said, I mean, it's not just a place where you can come to read. I mean, it's we have people coming through here on a regular basis who aren't even necessarily members, you know, so they don't necessarily, they don't have the ability to check materials out um, or like circulating materials, but they still come here for events. They still come here to meet people. Um, so many of my good friends are also volunteers here, um, whether we met before or we met, um, you know, through the library since I started volunteering here. Um, it's a cultural exchange because people are able to share of their cultural identity with one another um, and and tell each other like what that means to them and bond over that. I think I think once you understand a person's cultural background, then you can really connect. Um, so I think that the cultural exchange part is definitely around our events, our support groups, our just our parties, you know, just our, <laughs> our getting together and, and uh, being here and queer together still. Um, and then also to develop resiliency with one another is really important. I think the library helps people to do that in, in community with you know others of, of like mind or of similar identities. Um, and the archives definitely is an important part of our work. Um, many people who come to the library on a regular basis maybe don't even realize that we have an archive just a few blocks away here where we oh. keep um, ephemera and you know historical objects, materials, papers. Um, you know we keep personal papers of prominent community members. We um, I mean, we have all sorts of interesting stuff in the archives, and, and the community is able to engage with it either by getting involved in contacting us and asking for an archives tour, or um, coming to events where we have on display materials from our archive, like the Sacramento Archives Crawl. Every October, we participate in that, and we have a, a guest archivist cur curate the the collection that they want to, you know, in theme with the. I don't know if you've been to the Sac Archives Crawl, but it's an awesome event put on by the State Archives. Um, and we are always participating in that and we, you know, 
share a bit of our local queer history um, through actual engagement with the materials. Um, so yeah, so our archive is, is a great way to, I think, document our history in, in the Sacramento region. That's the main goal of the archive, I think. So for those on the video, they can see this massive collection back here behind us. Mm -hmm. How does the library curate its collection? Ah, that's a great question. Well, the, the influx of new volunteers has led to an influx of new board members, which has led to a series of projects, I think, to curate the collection in a meaningful way and in a strategic way in terms of space management. Um, part of that has been the creation of the collection development policy, which was recently ratified by the board. Um, our strategic plan, including our five-year plan that was recently passed by the board after a lengthy um, process of doing strategic planning, um, guided by Temple Kirk from the Gender Health Center and one of our board members here. Um, we're also currently working on drafting a collection development policy for our archive so we can have more formalized processes for, um, for intake of items and, and maintenance of the, of the, of the archival space. Um, so yeah, so I would say it's, it's curated in a, in a strategic way and then in, in the reality of the situation, which is that our space is limited um, and our volunteer base is limited. But we, we, in our weeding process, we're very careful. Um, we don't, we don't you know, weed out very many materials. And when we do, it's usually because it's not LGBT related mm -hmm. um, in any manner. Um, yeah, and it's just kind of kept up through the years of having a, a core of volunteers who really care about the accessibility of, the, of this literature. You've mentioned taking part in the uh, the Sacramento Archive Crawl. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what would you? What are some of the other events that the library is participating in to kind of get the word out about the library and to be kind of out in the community? Um, well, we we participate at the Sac State Pride often at the Sierra uh, College Rainbow uh, Days, their version of Pride, um, the Davis Pride, the City of Davis Pride in Central Park in Davis. Um, the Archives Crawl, I mean, we were at Earth Day this year. Um, we were at the APIXI conference at Sac State, the Asian Pacific Islander uh, queer conference that they hosted. Um, I mean, most places were invited. You know, we, we, we pitch it to the board <laughs> and we just say, if we're invited, you know, do we want to participate or not? We were at the, um, I think it's called International Peace Day recently. Um, we had some volunteers doing outreach there. Uh, personally, I'm not at everything, so I don't have it. You know, maybe I should have had a list here. Um, but we do. We have a lot of yeah. We have a lot of things we participate in. Um, the Earth Day seemed like it was a lot of fun. We were glad to be. We had that was our this year was our first time participating in outreach at Earth Day, um, and that was pretty cool. It was interesting to be at an event. I think that wasn't completely like LGBTQ focused. Yeah. Um, but certainly, you know, queer folks care about the environment too. You know, so I'm sure there were a lot of queer folks in attendance, even though it wasn't explicitly a queer event. Um, so yeah, we had a lot of fun there. Yeah, very cool that you that you're invited to that just to yeah. kind of get the word out to a slightly different. And we've even had community organizations and events reach out to us and like offer for partnership in terms of fundraising. I mean, we had the uh, Shine Cafe in February had to they do their every other week um, open mic uh, event, and every month they pick a different nonprofit to sponsor and give the proceeds to. Um, so I think the month of February was our month. We got the proceeds from the Shine Cafe. Um, open mic event. So shout outs to the Shine Cafe. Um, <laughs> good people over there. And um, that's a great way for us to do fundraising. We, you know, we're a nonprofit, all volunteer run organization. It's it's really a community effort to keep the, the space open. Mm -hmm. 
what events do you have here um, that are both book centric and perhaps community centric? Yeah, we've had, I mean, so many author release parties. Um, when there's a book release going on, we have uh, the Eclectic Trash Book Club that meets every other Thursday that's actually met um, for longer than the library has been existing. Um, it's a fiction mostly, I think, LGBT book club. Um, we have a new book club called Ellipses, which is a radical queer and trans um, book club that I think focuses more on academic and non-fiction books. Um, they meet every other Sunday. Um, tomorrow they'll be meeting. Um, so yeah, every other Sunday we have Ellipses. We have uh, we have the Queer Authors Collective that has been meeting here and doing book readings as well. Um, we have a new open mic series that's going to be starting, um, focused on queer people of color, mostly having a chance to share their comedy. Um, we host the LGBTQ Latinx group um, here in town, the Sacramento LGBTQ Latinx Association, I think they're called. Um, they're meeting here now. Um, we have the Sacramento F to M support group that meets here, um, the AMBI uh, bisexual support group that meets here. Um, so we have a lot of ongoing like regular support groups that meet here. Um, as well as some special events, like uh, Dr. Gail Pittman from Sac City College um, does her book release parties here. Um, we've had several local authors do book release parties. Um, as well as we had our mural unveiling in March. Um, we have a new mural on the wall, on our back wall here at the library, um, that we partnered with the California Endowment um, and the Gender Health Center um, to create. It's a beautiful mur mural. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, we... Yeah. I didn't know that was back there. We'll have to go look at that. <laughs> yeah. It commemorates the, um, the life and, and death of China Gibson. Um, and the, the, and it brings, I think, highlights for the community the problem of um, anti-trans violence and um, specifically uh, trans women of color, the violence that trans women of color disproportionately face in the contemporary United States. Um, so it's meant to bring awareness to that and also to celebrate the accomplishments of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, yeah, who we, who I personally, you know, would stand in solidarity with this year in not attending Pride, um, standing in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter Sacramento chapter, um, as well as the Tubman House and the Gender Health Center and other organizations, um, and by also. Um, I think there's actually a lot of organizations that are, um, are standing in solidarity and maybe saying, you know, Pride hasn't been representative of them um, in recent years, so so they won't be participating this year. Mm -hmm. um, but calling for hopefully future collaborations in which we can have LGBTQ spaces and community centers that really do center um, marginalized voices and the voices of people of color and trans people in particular. As these kind of issues come up, certainly trans issues and persons of color in the community issues have risen up quite a lot over the last couple of years. How does the library work to evolve itself to address those? I mean, it's an intentional effort, I think, every day. Every board meeting making that an important piece of the meeting and talking about how what are we doing to intentionally include more people and to, and to think about the ways that the space is historically maybe disproportionately served lesbians and gays and white people um, and how we can, yeah, and how we can be more strategic with who, we're, who our audience is. Um, we're trying to expand our social media presence as much as possible. Um, our social media presence on Facebook and Instagram has expanded dramatically, but not so much on Twitter, but we're working on that as well. Um, and trying to invite speakers of color and trying to invite trans folks to lead events or to um, participate in events. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, it depends who you ask, I would say. Um, but 
taking intentional steps and making it like an everyday thing to think about um, mm-hmm. inclusion in your space. Um, it's, it can be things I think as symbolic or as simple as um, putting a sign on your bathroom that says it's an gender inclusive restroom. I mean, it's a single occupancy restroom, but it certainly wouldn't need to be gendered. Um, and it certainly doesn't need to say, you know, that it's for men and women because we know that there are people who are not men or women. Um, so I think small symbolic acts and then larger acts of it, you know, purchasing of materials that are inclusive or of different identities. Um, authors, you know, we, we recently got the Pinkerton grant again, the local um, Pinkerton grant for book purchasing. Um, and with both of our last two Pinkerton grants, I believe we've specifically purchased um, about $750 worth of books, um, I think pretty much all books, maybe some DVDs, um, by authors of color. Um, so trying to expand the inclusion in terms of the materials on the shelf, I think is primary for the board, um, as well as doing um, intentional efforts to expand the inclusivity of our events and support groups and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's an ongoing effort, and it, and it will be. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, like you said, it's a day-by-day kind of... Yeah, you never really get to a point where, okay, now we've reached equity. You know, yeah. Or now we've reached, <laughs> you know, diversity and, you know, exactly. the community's always changing. Why is this library important to the LGBTQI community of Sacramento, but also the city itself? Ooh. I mean, I don't know. I can't really necessarily speak for the city. Speak for the entire uh, city. <laughs> for me, it's just important <laughs> to have a space that's free of corporate... Uh, sponsorship. It's it's great to have a you know a space that is truly radically free. I think um, where you can come together to explore uh, radical ideas or the radical ideas within yourself or the like the radical notion that you can resist the system yourself in a space here just by you know creating art or um, meeting someone new or attending a new event or becoming feeling empowered enough to host your own event or feeling empowered enough to speak up at the open mic and and share your artistry or um, to do a book reading from your latest work. Um, yeah, I think it's, for me, the importance is just creating a space that's truly, um, I think, as much as possible free of corporate influence and, and um, especially in the kind of late stage capitalism that we're currently in, I would say, yeah. How do you define radical when you use that term? I, I would define radical as in like, um, against the status quo, um, yeah, or like not normative in nature, mm-hmm. um, or not unorthodox, I suppose. Cool. Back to the books. It's always back to the books. Yes. What are some of the more popular books here? Like, what are the things that people kind of It's interesting. Towards? We have a lot of community members who will just take out like a whole section of a shelf at a time, and they just kind of work their way through the alphabet <laughs> and read awesome. all the fiction, you know? <laughs> I mean, when can you get enough fiction, right? I'm, I definitely sometimes just love coming in here and spending the Saturday just reading a new book. Um, but I would say, you know, the the academic stuff in the nonfiction section is actually surprisingly popular. Um, certainly the erotic DVDs is our most popular in terms of the number of items circulating quickly. Um, we have, uh, yeah, what would be the most popular texts, I wonder? The, the, the new children's section has been a huge success. Um, we just developed a children's section in the last, I think, about a year ago, um, and it's been seeing really high rates of circulation. Our young adult section and our new book section, I think, has had high rates of circulation, which shows that the community is um, wanting new materials that maybe better reflect their experiences and identities. Um, so, yeah, the overflow book sale is popular, you know, pretty 
which always because it allows for people to engage with the literature without having to necessarily pay the membership dues um, or just to not have to think about when you're going to return your book or call in and renew it. Um, so the Overflow book sale is popular. The erotic erotic novels are pretty popular. Um, yeah. Yeah, the Overflow book sale is... It's, it's hard to get books for like a dollar or two, yeah. you know, and Definitely. you just get to have them. Yeah, and you just expand your own personal collection a little bit. Now you mentioned coming in on a Saturday and, and just reading a book. What do you like to read? Oh, um, I have read a lot more nonfiction and academic, you know, historical monographs than anything. Um, having done, you know, history grad school, um, you just have to read a lot of nonfiction, a lot of <laughs> monographs. But I enjoy novels. Um, since finishing my master's in 2014, I've been reading a lot more fiction, I would say. Um, so that's been good. I enjoy just grabbing a random novel off the shelf and just kind of exploring that world a little bit. Um, but my all-time favorites are definitely in the nonfiction section. Tend tend to be historians. Tend to be micro history. Um, I mean, yeah, that tends to be where I go. Although lately, I've been exploring the YA section. That's a lot of fun too. Um, so yeah. What's the best part for you in terms of the role that you play here? Oh, my favorite part is just working my 12 to 3 on Saturday's shift, um, just running the circ desk and making sure everyone's tended to and that people are able to check out their materials and and reading. You know, I first got involved here because I just wanted to prioritize reading more fiction after grad school. Um, so exploring a new novel and, um, and meeting new people um, definitely has been my favorite part. I mean, half the people I go to brunch with on the weekends are volunteers at the library, you know, so the social aspect is big too, I think. Um, met a lot of great people here. You said you, you walked in the door because you were looking to read more fiction mm -hmm. after, after grad school. When you did that, did you think it would go as far as it did to that you're a volunteer, that you're on the board, that you're the intern coordinator? Did that all, or did that just kind of evolve organically? Think, yeah, just by, necess by necessity, you know, they, um, yeah, I was, I did not think I would become the secretary, um, and the intern coordinator and the Saturday key holder. Um, but we just have a small pool group of volunteers and when something needs to get done, you know, we have a, a good group of people who step up and get it done. Um, so yeah, I didn't see all this coming. Uh, I'm not sure how long I'll be on the board necessarily. <laughs> um, but I hope to continue my Saturday volunteership for the foreseeable, you know, I told my roommate, as long as I live in Sacramento, I'll probably volunteer at the Lavender Library. So mm -hmm. it's for the foreseeable, for sure. Um, but the other stuff is is good too. Um, getting to getting the experience of continuing to lecture in the community on on behalf of the library to share not only what we do but also some of our history. Um, you know, for the heteros out there who maybe don't know it, <laughs> um, but also for queer folks who maybe want to connect more with their history but didn't have a chance within their co Common Core curriculum. Um, to learn queer history. Sure. I mean, I certainly didn't learn queer history until almost grad school or probably upper division undergraduate. Um, so, and even then, survey history courses at the college level don't exactly prioritize LGBTQ experiences. Um, yeah. What kind of lectures does the library go out and give? Because I know you you go out and you give lectures. Uh, we we talked to uh, the president of the board, who's who's sitting way over behind us at the circulation yeah, desk. Right the circ desk. He goes out and is also doing lectures. What kind of programming does that put out into the community? I mean, first and foremost, we want to share that we're here. You know, we're queer. Uh, 
and that there's a space for those in the audience who maybe don't know it. You know, I know for me, I drove by a lot um, or walked by and um, never came into this space for years. I just knew the library existed, but I didn't always, you know, I didn't walk in until two, two and a half years ago. Um, so first and foremost, we talk a little bit about, you know, what is the library? Where are we? What do we do? Um, but then we usually go into um, kind of a nonlinear look at the 20th century and some of like the identity formation and like how gay and lesbian and homosexual and where these words come from and how they came to be. And um, specifically in the United States, we tend to focus, um, Chris and I kind of work, mostly Chris, um, worked on developing a kind of standard LGBTQ history lecture. Um, and I think we're both Americanists, so it, it's pretty much all US specific, um, but it focuses on resistance, identity formation, um, community formation, um, we try to kind of jump around in terms of space and time a bit um, to disrupt any notions of like linear progress models that tend to uh, flood historiography a little too much. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's an engaging, I, I try to make it an engaging lecture as much as possible and not just a lit review. Um, but when you're given, you know, a lot of the organizations in the community who want us to speak will be like, oh, you got 45 minutes, you know, to give us a history of LGBTQ people in America. Um, so it's like, oh, okay, so everything from my entire master's thesis, you know, into 45 minutes, like, let's let's do it. Um, so I think as historians often have to curate, I mean, that's kind of the fundamental tenet of postmodernism, I think, in the history discipline is that everything's curated, right? And there's not necessarily any one universal truth. Um, so it's always going to be kind of what the lecturer wants to convey or what message they want to get across or what they want to convince the people of, you know, for me, that's most often making sure that we can destabilize any, any linear progress models, um, in terms of like thinking about progress as though, you know, this is where we've achieved it. Um, and making sure people realize that like, you know, you might be able to point to one thing at one point in time and say in that space and time, that's progress. Um, but is progress happening? Is it inevitable? And is it always happening? And does it end? These are important questions that I would like my students to engage with. This is the 20th anniversary year. What's going to happen to help celebrate the library and it's yeah. at this uh, great milestone? Well, we're hoping to get a, you know, continue the positive community response that we've gotten. You know, a big day of giving. We got a massive community response and exceeded our goal by over $1,000 of fundraising. Um, with the mural release party in March, we saw huge attendance that we didn't necessarily expect. Um, so, and more of our support groups are more full every day. So we're hoping to get good attendance this fall at the commemorative events, um, probably uh, two events um, to commemorate our 20 year anniversary. This fall, we're gonna be hosting, um, we're gonna be hosting like a barbecue crafternoon type event here at the space um, and in our parking lot. Uh, and then potentially on the same day or the day before, we're gonna do like a, we're, currently looking into doing like a, at a bar, like renting the space of a, of a bar and having more of a, a party in terms of drinking. You know, we wanted to have like a sober event, of course, you know, to, to be all ages and inclusive of folks who maybe, you know, don't participate in drinking um, or in those types of environments. Um, and then we also want to have like a, another event at the bar um, in recognition that, you know, a lot of queer community has been found in drinking spaces. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of good historical literature on it too. Um, a lot of queer folks have met and congregated in in uh, in bars. Um, so we're keeping that tradition alive as well with a with a celebration in the fall. Yeah, to commemorate our 20 year anniversary, both a, a sober, family oriented event and uh, maybe a 
nighttime party at the bar. So, and that's probably going to be all in October. And um, folks can follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram. You know, we're just at Sacklace on all of our, our uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, so folks can follow us on there as well as LavenderLibrary.com, our website, um, to learn more about that as things progress because we're in the beginning stages right now. And if anyone out there who's been involved with the library who wants to get involved or who wants to get involved with the library uh, wants to get involved with planning the 20th anniversary, <laughs> you know, we're open to it. Um, it's going to it's gonna take a village. So but it's going to be a party. We're looking forward to it. Fantastic. Well, Trev, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Tell us about the library and everything. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you once again to Trevor for taking a few minutes out of his day to uh, kind of take us on a tour and explain all the good things that Lavender Library does. Uh, if you'd like more information on the Lavender Library uh, and some of their upcoming events, all you have to do is go to LavenderLibrary.com. Yes. And if you want to head over to the YouTube, if you're not watching on YouTube as you intake our podcast this week, uh, if you go out past the end of the show to the last eight minutes of the video, you can actually go on a tour of the library because Trevor took us around uh, to show us all the various things uh, that are in the library. So we appreciate that as well. Okay, I think that'll do it for this week's episode. Coming up next week in episode 143, Brandolin has some book recommendations. It's always lovely to have Brandolin here. Absolutely. And also, we will recap our 2018 Jeff's Birthday New York <laughs> City Theater <laughs> Extravaganza. Yes, uh, <laughs> that is where we've been the last few days, uh, and we will be recapping that. Uh, I think as we as we stand here before we leave on that trip, we are seeing at least seven shows and probably eight and maybe nine. So <laughs> we will have all the scoop on that next week. Yes. Guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 